0: Hello, and welcome to episode three of Pod to the Left. This is Mary-Kate Bartell and Andrew Joseph live from the studio. Um, Unfortunately, this week, Victoria Pandera was unable to make it, but she'll be back next week, and we should have a great show. Thank you.
1: So last Thursday, we did a special podcast episode of Pod to the Left that was exclusively on our media platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. On the recap, we were talking about our feelings with uh, the rea- our reactions towards the midterms. And I think at that point in time, looking back, I think it was a little too early to assess how I was feeling about who won, who lost, major keys to the midterms. But looking back on it, I really do think that the Democrats won and they won big in those midterms by winning over the House. That was their goal. That was what they set out to do. And really looking back at it, that plays into so much going forward in terms of how Congress is going to deal with President Trump how President Trump is going to deal with his goals for his administration with the Russia investigation, with his plans for 2020. But to just get a brief summary, lots of women ran, lots of women won. Over 72 women are joining Congress, 29 of which are women of color. So for representation matters, That is absolutely huge. That is not something partisan. That is just a great thing for this country to see more people represented by elected officials that look like them, that want the same things that they want, and that have gone through similar life experiences. So I think that's great in terms of the races that we covered on this show last week. In the Texas senatorial run between Beto O'Rourke and Ted Cruz, Beto had 48% of the vote. Cruz had 50 percent of the vote. That was something that was expected in some sorts. I think, Mary, you had. I predicted had that. predicted
0: a better loss. I didn't think it was going to be that close. I think on air I said it would be a really close race. Personally, I didn't have too much faith in Texas voters. It was much closer than I expected, and I didn't see a win happening until that night. When I was watching election coverage and the precincts were coming in and they were like, oh, wait, this is really close. And Beto was winning for a while. And then they're like, this could all come down to Tarrant County, which is one of the counties right next to me. And I was just like blown away by how close it was. It was just such a exciting race to watch that night. Lots of like roller coaster emotions. Um, We did see a Ted Cruz win, though. I think he's going to come up with a plan and I don't think this is the last we'll see of Beto O'Rourke. I think he'll be around for a while.
1: Um, It was two million votes, right? the margin of victory for, for Cruz was 200,000 200,000 yeah oh my goodness it
0: was very close yeah I think it was 200,000 because the split in Tarrant County was almost 300,000 to 300,000 this was for those of you who aren't too familiar with Texas politics Tarrant County was the last urban county to go blue it was the last one that was still a conservative county and I don't really think you could say that it fully went blue because Beto won by like maybe a percentage point in Tarrant County. So I think it's just now going to be a little bit more interesting voting in Tarrant. Also, just in in Texas
1: in general, the fact that Texas is on the verge of becoming a blue state, whether you like it or not, just with the changing demographics within the state, I think what we're going to see, whether in 2020 or in 2024, 2022, what have you, We're going to see Texas at one point become a Democratic state. The ramifications that has in the Electoral College, if Democrats have California, if they have Texas, if they are able to win over Florida or if they're able to keep Michigan, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, Republicans will be in a lot of trouble come 2020. Just because in the midterms, what we saw was uh, Wisconsin's governorship the governorship in Michigan and in Pennsylvania, they all went blue. I believe the senatorial candidates in those states went blue as well. That is a real key indicator because those are states that Hillary Clinton lost in 2016 and were real toss up states. So if we see those states stay blue in 2020, President Trump is going to have a lot of trouble becoming uh, a second term president.
0: Yeah, and I think Texas is on its way to be a battleground state. Um, it'll be, I think you could say it is now if yeah, it was such a close race like that. I think that. 2020 might be like the first like presidential race where people might be spending a little bit more time campaigning all around Texas than just hitting the big stops. I know in 2016, Hillary hit like Austin and Dallas and Houston, and that was pretty much it. They didn't sp- she didn't spend too much time in Texas because there wasn't really a big chance of her winning in Texas, but now I th- I do see a... Uh, there might be more wait. political trips
1: to Texas yeah, as well. Yeah, I could see more like visits. trips to El Paso mm-hmm. because it's a border city or going to do what Beto O'Rourke did and visit more rural counties yeah. within the state. So Texas is definitely going to be a state that's going to be on the lookout for the next election. I, I think it is a battleground state now. Yeah, it's but
0: really exciting.
1: It wasn't. The only state on the ballot in the elections this this past week. It was elections all across the country. Democrats gained more than 30 seats in the House. Uh, One of the seats that we talked about was the seat in Virginia with Abigail Spanberger. That seat was another battleground seat for Democrats. I think we're seeing a rebuke of Trump and his rhetoric and his policies across a lot of the suburbs within this country. Mm -hmm. Just in terms of how that's going to affect 2020, Democrats are going to keep hitting those suburbs. But I think Trump is also going to try to rally his base by pissing Democrats off.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the things that he may have done incorrectly before this election, um, which I'm not sure if there was much they could do to prevent the Democrats winning back the House, um, just in years when you have a midterm year and you have a president who has a approval rating, as low as president trump's it's expected that they'll lose either the house or the senate i think one of his mistakes was the way he was campaigning when he would go visit all these places he stuck to the stuff that he thought was working which was fear of immigrants and stuff like that i was reading an article about how there was a really racist um ad he had tweeted out um that cnn didn't air nbc aired once and then realized it was an awful ad and even fox news pulled it and it was if
1: fox news pulls an ad yeah. by the president you know that there yeah. might be something wrong with that but, advertisement yeah
0: but i was reading about this and they were saying that he that his the ad that he originally signed off for that his people brought to him was one focusing on how strong the economy is which it is true the economy's strong but whether or not who gets credit, like is it Trump's credit, is it Obama's credit, is up to everyone to decide. But he was going to um, credit claim on the economy, and then he, the president himself, decided that that one wasn't going to get enough attention and decided to push the fear tactic one, which I don't think works for the suburban voters.
1: Absolutely um, they not. They do
0: care more about the economy and stuff like that. So I think that that might have affected it a little bit. Um, additionally, last Oh, the Spamberger seat, that district has been red since 1970. This is the first time a Democrat So not has, a battleground seat, like yeah, I said earlier. <laughs> this is not a battleground seat. The seat has been Republican since 1970, so that's huge that she was able to win. Um, she was the one who we talked about whose opponent in all the, in their last debate never referred to her by her name— or referred to as Nancy Pelosi in like some kind of context. So it was I Which think, really goes also
1: yeah. to the I guess what some people would call the sexism that has arose with the Me Too movement, with Donald Trump's audio tapes yeah. and just the reactions that have motivated both women to run for office and to use their voice and to use their to use their position to for some change, and also in for men in a certain regard to, I guess push back on that and degrade women by not even calling their names. Yeah. So we're seeing a dual effect in everything that Trump does.
0: Yeah, for sure. And um, one of the another interesting race was Minnesota too. This woman, Angie Craig, beat the Republican incumbent, um, who has a weekly radio talk show where last year he complained about how because of the Me Too and Time's Up movement um, men can no longer call women and he used a really degrading slur that we can't use on air but it starts with an S and you can fill in the blanks but it was you know interesting that like his district saw that and they weren't happy so there is like this weird pushback that I just don't really understand when it just comes down to respect and decency I guess he was right because men can't do that because when you say something like that you lose people your job. People yeah, people listen.
1: and they respond. But one thing I want to add to I guess Trump's credit in terms of campaigning where he did campaign that state succeeded for yeah. the Republicans. Now out of the 11 states within his trip around the country stump speeching for people running for Congress, out of those 11 races, nine of them won. His voice does hold power for both parties. You could use it for for your party, for the Democrats, to rebuke what he says, or for Republicans, just to even more passionately motivate your base. Uh, I think of states like Missouri and Montana, states that went red in 2016. Those states are probably going to get more red as time goes on. Yeah. And that is part of that Trump effect. But we're going to see states like Michigan, like Pennsylvania, like Wisconsin, where there is going to be that suburb kick of Trump. We're going to have to wait and see for 2020 and how the people elected to Congress react to whatever is going to happen within the next two years, which I can guarantee something crazy is going to happen, whether it's the Mueller investigation Whether it's the caravan, whether it's something that we don't even know what's going on now. So this midterm has huge implications on 2020, but it also has huge implications on right now with Democrats having the power to subpoena and the effect that's going to have in the Russia investigation in Donald Trump's taxes with the Me Too movement that's going to have ramifications from now until Election Day in 2020.
0: And an interesting thing it's been bringing up is this issue of voter suppression, voter rights. In Arizona and in Florida right now, there is a recount going on. These were two seats that were initially called, both for the Republicans. In Arizona, I don't think they ever officially called the race. Um, They were still counting ballots. The
1: Arizona senatorial Senate race, seat? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that it's- right now the Democratic candidate has the edge in that. Yeah. I think it's going to stay that way from what I've read, but in Florida Republicans are calling the the recount some they're saying there's going to be voter fraud. Uh, Rick Scott, the governor and senatorial candidate in Florida, he is calling for the police to watch the voting machines just so voter fraud won't occur and at the same time Andrew Gillum and Nelson, the senatorial cal- candidate in Florida, they are really pushing for every vote to be counted for. What I read before was, in specifically in the senatorial seat, Scott has a lead of 13,000 votes, and usually in a voter recount of this size, they'll only find up yeah. to a few hundred votes. In my mind, it's very unlikely that they'll find... Fourteen thousand votes or what have you in the in the Senate race, but Florida is Florida, so it yeah. will remain to be seen as to what happens. I think anything is possible in that state,
0: and I think even like you said, it doesn't have too much of an effect. But I feel like Florida passed um, Proposition Number Four, which let um, felons gave felons the right to vote. It um, gave one point five million Floridians their right to vote again. And I think those 1.5 million voters are going to be looking at how wanting to count all the votes has become so politicalized. Because like I'm looking at a tweet right now from the president this morning that said the Florida election should be called in favor of Rick Scott and Ron DeSantis in that large number of new ballots showed up out of nowhere. And many ballots are missing and forged. An honest vote count is no longer possible. Dash ballots massively infected must go with election night. And this just seems like a weird thing for a president in a democracy. To, right. Like, say it and shouldn't
1: be a partisan issue no, counting votes. I
0: feel like you would want to make sure every vote is counted. And I think, come 2020, come 2022, I feel like the people of Florida are going to take this into consideration. Seeing that both Republican candidates have sued the Secretary of State for wanting a vote recount when this is their law, this is not like right, the, someone the asking margin, for a recount. The
1: margin of yeah. victory fell below 0.5%. So both races in both races. So the legal obligation is to recount the votes. It's just it just goes to show how important power plays into politics. And the fact that Florida is such a key state for the president for the way it goes in Congress, just the amount of votes and the amount of power Florida has. We're not talking about Georgia's the fact that Stacey Abrams hasn't conceded yet and that there was voter suppression. People aren't really talking about that anymore. People are really focusing on the Florida recount because they know the ramifications it has. In 2000, Florida was the deciding factor between Bush and Gore. I could 100% see 2020 going down to the wire and people focusing on Florida. It really goes to show how much Trump cares about who's the governor and who's the senator from this midterm.
0: It's interesting. Um, We're going to Change gears a little bit from midterms to um, uh, coverage on the Thousand Oaks shooting. Um, this happened last week. Um, it was at a college bar, and this is our third weekly show. And this is the third mass shooting that's happened since then, um, which is just so weird to have three different mass shootings since we've started. 3 weeks ago. It was Not Pittsburgh. Even. It was 2
1: weeks. It was Pittsburgh. It was There was a shooting in
0: Tallahassee at a yoga studio which Correct. was right next to Correct. Florida State University. Um and this one at a college bar in Thousand Oaks, California.
1: Back to what you were saying. Yeah. It's become so normalized in our country that mass shootings occur and that we're just supposed to we're just supposed to accept That that's going on, because there's nothing that Congress is doing to really initiate some sort of change or to initiate some sort of awareness at this point, even from people in Congress. I think they were so they worked so hard after the shooting in Parkland, Florida, or the shooting in at the elementary school in Connecticut, in Newtown. I mean, there's so many that we could look back and point to. Congress really calling to action that something must be done. But I feel like at this point in where we are in our country and how many times this has happened over and over and over again, it's become normalized to the point where there was people at this shooting that were also in the Las Vegas shooting. Yeah, I can't imagine having two events and just experiencing a mass shooting once and feeling that fear for your life but to have to experience that twice and survive that it really goes to show how normal and how current this epidemic is i really yeah. do think it's an epidemic
0: that yeah i i agree and one of the victims actually was at the las vegas shooting and survived and he um was he died in this shooting and it's just i can't imagine like what his parents are going through like i can't imagine that first time i'm sure they thought in las vegas there was a chance they would lost their son and then to have it happen again what's interesting the shooter in this one was a veteran um, he was in the marine corps i know that this past election there were a lot of veterans elected so maybe in january we will see some kind of mental health because that is seems to be like the opposite of like Gun reform, people say it's a mental health issue, but we still haven't had any substantial mental health legislation passed. But maybe with an influx of veterans elected, we might get some mental health treatment options. I know there's the shooting of
1: Chris Kyle. Chris Kyle, that was it. Chris uh, Kyle. The movie American Sniper. Yes, from American
0: Sniper. He. Um, was dealing with a buddy of his who was also on the SEAL team with him who had PTSD and they went to a shooting range and the guy wound up getting triggered and shot Chris Kyle Um, and it's just you know it goes to show that there is definitely a mental health epidemic within our veterans and that needs to be treated but we also need to do something about these mass shootings we've been producing shows for like two and a half weeks and we've had three mass shootings now and I just like can't I don't know I don't like talking about it over and over again, and it feels like every time I talk about it, nothing is going to get done, and it's frustrating.
1: The story seems to be the same where I think whoever is involved in the mass shooting, the shoot the the shooter, yeah, obviously mentally ill, and there's a whole different backstory that you could go into that, but at the same time, the gun he he was using, it wasn't an AR15, it was a pistol some sort of glock. And it had an extended magazine. So I don't think there's going to be any legislation to get rid of a pistol, a Glock. I mean, that, but maybe an extended magazine.
0: Well, with that, in California, they had banned the sale of extended magazines, and that law hadn't gone into effect yet um, because the NRA was lobbying or was suing the government in their lawsuit. What, since the suit is still pending? And they keep just, every time the lawsuit gets shot down, they just send another one. It keeps this cycle going, so they haven't been able to enforce the ban of this magazine. So there was a law in, in place, but the NRA has been blocking it. And I feel like, I don't know, I think as long as the NRA has power, like this much power to where they can block a bill, and then someone is able to kill 12 people with a handgun, like I just... I feel like we have an epidemic and a moral issue now that people are so desensitized to shootings that they say it's all a political game when people are dying. And with this one in spe- like particular, it happened at a college bar and that that hit me hard because I I I go to college bars and I know like I'm not going there expecting someone to come in and shoot and I know like going to theaters, we've talked about this, has been like kind of like an anxiety inducing event you know we had a shooting at a synagogue which is like another safe place and when you go out you know and you're having fun with your friends you're not thinking that's the
1: last thing on your mind
0: you're not thinking where's my like fastest exit and stuff like that how do i get out of here it's scary that there's so few safe places left for us
1: i would say that there isn't really a safe space you think of some of the most sacred places, a school, a church, a synagogue, all three of those places are constantly attacked with mass shootings. In Texas, last year, a year or two ago, I, there was a shooting at a church. In South Carolina, shooting at a church. Pittsburgh, synagogue. How many school shootings have yeah. there been on college campuses with Virginia Tech, for example, or high schools or elementary schools, there are no places where gun violence does not... Gun violence exists everywhere. It doesn't matter where you are, and I feel like I'm speaking in a fear-mongering sort of way, but that's just the way society is now. You could go to a bar, you could go to church. It's happened in all places And now it's a question of what are we going to do about it? And do I have the answer for that? No. But do I think that there needs to be more restrictive, that guns need to be more restrictive and that there need to be more regulations on guns and how the gun industry operates within politics? Yes, absolutely. The way society is now, I think something needs to be done. And just to... I guess switch gears here. The Thousand Oaks community as a whole has been going through so much in this past week because they had the mass shooting. And then a few days later, the wildfires in California are just consuming the entire state. And some of it started within Thousand Oaks area in the LA of Ventura County. And I mean, I can't imagine, you know, going through such a terrible moment within the community with the mass shooting. And then having to flee your home because of a wildfire just really goes to show how I mean you could say it's symbolic of how crazy the times are right now with just there's something different going on every single day and it's a shame that I think five years ago any one of the stories that we're talking about today people would have talked about for weeks because it would have been the only centralized story within the country yeah but now news is going so fast that even the people within a community like Thousand Oaks are not even... I'm sure they they can't even think about the mass shooting because they're worried about their house burning down. It, it's crazy.
0: And that's what the death toll for... There's, I think, three big fires right now in California. Um, one in Northern California, which is the Camp Fire, um, which is the deadliest one of the three. Um, and then the Woolsey Fire, which is in Southern California, which is affecting the Thousand Oaks community. It's affecting Malibu. The Camp Fire is now... It said it now is equal to the deadliest fire on record in California, which was the 1933 Griffith Park disaster in Los Angeles. And the total death toll for all of it is 31, but there's over 200 people missing. So this is just really frightening. I'm sure a lot of people I feel like are familiar with the Woolsey fire in Southern California um, because it is targeting a part where a lot of celebrities live. So I've seen a lot of media attention about this one. Um, But the campfire in Northern California is also really, really bad. I know I've seen pictures. I have family out in the Bay Area, and I've seen pictures, and it's just smoke everywhere. And while luckily their house is safe right now, I mean, I can't imagine they can spend too much time outside because there's so much smoke. And I was talking to someone today whose mom teaches in Southern California, and she teaches like elementary school, and like the kids aren't allowed to go outside at all during the day, but they still like have to go to school and stuff, so it's just... It seems like a really scary time for the people in California, so.
1: The crazy thing with the wildfire is that it's become politicized and it wasn't it shouldn't be an event that is politicized in the fact that it wasn't the residents or those affected that were calling it to be something politicized. It was the the president in his first remarks about The wildfire saying there is no reason for these massive, deadly and costly forest fires in California, except that forest management is so poor. Billions of dollars are given each year with so many lives lost, all because of gross management of the forest. Remedy now or no federal payments, which I don't think that's the thing. That's what victims who have lost friend, who've lost friends, who have lost their homes, who have lost the animals that their pets that they couldn't travel with I don't think that's what they want to hear no and he did give words of support in the hours following but he did revert back to talking about the forest management and what he calls a mismanagement one thing that I found really interesting was the fact that Nearly 60% of California forests are under federal management and another two-thirds under private control. It's the federal government that has chosen not to divert resources away from forest management. So this the, the forest mismanagement isn't even the responsibility of the state government because so much of that forest fire has been in federal territory. To me, it just speaks to the to how bad the president and how bad political parties on both sides want to get political gain from anything. Because right now, yes, I'm sure it's the Republican Party that is trying to gain something from a natural disaster, which is gross and not something that the victims nor anyone in this country wants to hear. But it seems like in every event, both parties in the country are trying to gain something politically. And that's not what the country needs right now. I think that only furthers the division. I think what the president said just encourages political polarization in the fact that California is a blue state. California has been a blue state for a really long time. And that is something that isn't going away in, from the president's mind. So for him making the statement, it subconsciously is Against the Democrats. And that's just not something that people want to hear. That's not. I mean, I've said that three times.
0: Yeah, I think it's just a, a heartless thing to tweet at people who are just losing everything right now. Um, I just I don't understand the justification. Like, I mean, there was n- there had to have been no thought when going through with that because that was just just such a, a natural reaction,
1: thing. maybe something that Fox News put out and he agreed with.
0: It's so weird. I don't fully understand. I just try not to make sense of a lot of things I see on Twitter, including stuff from the president. And just think, 2020. That's all. Maybe after 2020, we won't have a presidential Twitter feed like that.
1: There needs to be some regulations on social media for president. Yes. Tweets out fallacies like he does.
0: There's interest. What's interesting with that is. Every single tweet of his is recorded into the Library of Congress because it's like an official statement from the president. So who knows, maybe in AP history, U.S. history in a few years, those kids will be answering questions about tweets, and it'll be interesting.
1: One thing that I've found to be very fascinating with just how politics is going to work within California and the rest of the country with the president is the n- newly elected governor of California Gavin Newsom. He was married to former Fox host Kimberly Gullyfoyle who is now dating Donald I Trump Jr.
0: Did not know that they were married.
1: The fact that the governor of California's ex-wife is the girlfriend of the president's son, I can only imagine the tweets from the president and possibilities that Man. of what he could write i think that'll be on a small level funny but on a larger scheme very immature well yeah but he That's, hasn't done it yet so let's hope that there's some maturity in, yeah in that discourse
0: i was um, watching sighting it live over the weekend and a couple weeks ago pete davidson made a comment about a congressional candidate from Texas Lieutenant Commander Dan Crenshaw who wears an eye patch. And he made fun of him for wearing an eye patch in a very Pete David's Pete Davidson way and a lot of people were pretty offended by that because the because Lieutenant Crenshaw wears um the eye patch because he lost his eye in combat and then went on and served. I think it was like two more duty or two more tours and then like retired on medical leave. Um and so Second Live had lieutenant commander dan crenshaw come on over the weekend and he did like the reverse thing he like made fun of pete davidson i thought it was a very nice
1: gesture and the right thing to do by saturday night live to invite him and i thought that his response was very appropriate very mature and what we should see from politicians yeah even if it was making fun of pete davidson
0: yeah, and it was it was a good segment, but then they were talking about um, the importance of Veterans Day and how, you know, he was saying a lot of veterans sometimes feel forgotten and or not forgotten, but, like, you know, maybe people don't realize the sacrifices they made, and he was talking about how simple it is to make a Veterans Day just by going up to them today and saying, you know, never forget, thank you for your service, all that kind of stuff. And it was just really nice, and they were talking about how Veterans' issues aren't a partisan issue, how they do transcend party lines. And there's veterans on both sides. And I mentioned earlier, we had a record of veterans in the when, in the midterm elections, yeah. Which was really um, cool to see because it used to be a lot more veterans ran, and now there's not nearly as much representation for veterans. And, you know, we do hear issues with the VA and stuff like that and funding issues. So it is nice to see more representation and today to be able to honor. Our veterans, and um, this week is also in other countries they refer to in Europe they refer to Veterans Day as Armistice Day, um, which marked the end of World War One. Uh, world War One, um, and this is the 100th anniversary of it too. So it's more it was a much bigger Armistice Day than some of the others. that There were um all the or a lot of the world leaders got together in France. I know um French President Eli Macron.
1: Angela Merkel. Merkel and
0: President Trump all attended a ceremony the other day. Um, they had a special one that was going to be cemetery side in a cemetery where a lot of American veterans were buried from World War One. And President Trump did cancel his visit there due to rain. But Angela Merkel and Eli Macron did both attend that and honor their country's soldiers and they honored the American soldiers for us, too, since our president was unable to attend due to rain. And so, it was, you know, they had a lot of nice stuff going on in Europe.
1: One thing I think of when you were talking about Trump's cancellation in Europe, I think of what would have happened if President Obama yeah. had done the same thing. And thinking of how crazy Fox News would have been in, oh, the president doesn't care about our veterans and this and that and the other, you think now that is the most minor news story in today's just whole slew of news stories. And you think of just how different politics is today from a few years ago where that would have been a leading story for three, four days and President Obama would have had to do so many different speeches and would have had to shown his support. To the military in various different forms because a large population, I feel like, would have been disrespected by that. But because of the way Trump handles things and his rhetoric and the way that news is the way it is today, I don't think a lot of people care. I know when I saw that story that he didn't go because of rain, I thought, well, that's very typical of the president, just going to move on with my day. I don't think that's a huge issue. But in the context of politics four years ago, that would have been huge. And I th- I think it's something to remember that this presidency is not very normal.
0: Yeah. I do think citing rain as your excuse not to go to remember soldiers who fought in World War One, soldiers who, that was the first war, they used gas bombs and mm. chemical attacks. They were, you know, soldiers, they don't cancel war because of rain. And so I feel like it is kind of disrespectful to troops, to our troops, but I don't think that... President Trump has too much history with respect to the troops. He doesn't go down to Dover Air Force Base to greet the families of grieving um, fallen soldiers. I don't think he's ever gone down there. And that was something that President Obama and Vice President Joe Biden did frequently. Um, So it's just, it's interesting. I think that's all we have for you guys today. Pod to the Left is now on iTunes. So if you go into your little podcast app and search Pod to the Left, you can find us, listen to our past episodes. If something big happens and we are going to go in and we can we record like mini episodes every now and then. If there's a break week next week, we will not be live on air. Um, the university's closed for the week for Thanksgiving break, but we might have a little treat for our listeners online. So just be sure to look out on iTunes. Um, just search Pod to the Left will be there. Rate, review us. Um, Thank you for listening. Do you have any little last hurrahs before we sign off?
1: I would just say that I am very happy that there was a high turnout in the midterm elections. And I'm assuming if someone listens to this radio show and podcast, they have a high political political engagement. Mm -hmm. So I would say keep at it. And no matter if you're left, right, or center, you should be participating in politics and letting your voice be heard. We do a podcast. Other people, you can vote and let your opinion be known. So thanks for that.
0: Yeah, that's pretty similar to mine, the high voter turnout. Um, I mentioned this in our little shortened episode we had earlier in the week, but Texas broke their like voter turnout record. It was the highest turnout in like 50 years. Our voter turnout in 2018 was higher than it was in the presidential election of 2020. Or 20, 2000, um, when George Bush, our governor, was running. So that was pretty cool. And there are also a record number of women elected and so many first. We had our first Native American women. We had the youngest women elected to the House, Abby Finkenauer and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, both 29. Um, we have our first two Latina congresswomen from Texas, the first black congresswoman from Massachusetts. We have the first two Muslim women. In Congress ever, so it's just a lot of firsts for increasing our diversity in Congress. So it was pretty exciting to see that happen,
1: and hopefully it only continues.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening, and we will see you guys in two weeks. To the left. To the left. To the left.